Hi, this is Jan Miyazaki, the host of the Wednesday 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you for tuning into WORT. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a donation at wortfm.org slash donate. Ten minutes after eight here in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and Joseph Nunn is joining me. Joseph Nunn is uh, counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program, and his work focuses on issues surrounding the domestic activities of the U.S. military, including martial law and the Insurrection Act. So his work advances policies that allow the president to respond to emergencies without sacrificing the separation of powers or Americans' constitutional rights. The Brennan Center has proposed reforms to prevent abuse of the Insurrection Act, and uh, Joseph Nunn says Congress should take up these or similar reforms without uh, delay. So good morning, Joseph Nunn. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, I um, was reading your posts at the Brennan Center for Justice and got a, there's just a lot of good stuff. I want to direct our listeners to a good primer on the ins and outs of the Insurrection Act and when it has been used in the past. Um, But, you know, recent reports have revealed that the former president and his allies are making plans for how a second Trump administration would use the powers of the federal government um, you write to punish Trump's critics and political oppo- opponents, among these invoking the Insurrection Act. So I wanted to talk with you about that um, piece. So sp- let's start there. The Insurrection Act would allow or authorize the a president to do what? So what the Insurrection Act does uh, most straightforwardly is it allows the president to use the military to enforce civilian laws domestically, which is not something that the military is normally allowed to do. And so this is that that image I you know immediately remember of uh, the the military accompanying the president out into Lafayette Park during the Black Lives Matter march. Is that so that that was not actually an invocation of the insurrection. Right, right. That wasn't. Um, but that would be but what what you're imagining there. So. That, that's actually a great example of some of the sort of complications that are at play here. Uh, the reason that that did, uh, that did not require invocation of the Insurrection Act uh, is because those were National Guard troops who were still taking orders from their state governors, not from the president directly. Um, the reason that matters is because of a different law called the Tuscan Hottest Act. And the Tuscan Hottest Act bars federal troops from in uh, participating in civilian law enforcement unless doing so has been expressly authorized by Congress. So the Insurrection Act is an exception to the Post-Gamitanus Act um, that allows federal troops to enforce the law because at Lafayette Square, they were National Guard troops who were still under state command and control. The Post-Gamitanus Act was not implicated. Um, now, if those National Guard troops had been called into federal service, if they had been federalized, is the technical term, then uh, former President Trump would have needed to invoke the Insurrection Act to do uh, to do that. So the insurrection. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, the Insurrection Act, and and that sort of kind of just sort of is looming there. Um, 
uh, what that could potentially be a slippery slope, right? But give, given that the Insurrection Act gives the president, you write, nearly unchecked powers to use the military as a domestic police force, you say that, you know, it is possible that on the first day in office, a, a second Trump administration, he could use that to quash any public protests against him. So uh, uh, right. Insurrection uh, Act sort of 101, what, what does that allow him or authorize the president to do? So the, the core issue with the Insurrection Act, first, let me talk about what the purpose of the Insurrection Act is. So the, the founders, the, the drafters of the Constitution were extremely wary of military power. Uh, they actually debated at the Constitutional Convention whether to even allow the United States to have a standing army. Um, but, and, and they were suspicious because of their own personal experience at the hands of the British military. They knew that an army turned inward could become uh, a tool for oppression and a, you know, a threat to individual liberty. But they also understood that emergencies happen. Emergencies happen in any society, and there will inevitably be, inevitably be occasions on which civilian authorities are overwhelmed by an insurrection, by civil unrest, by some other crisis, and they need assistance from the military, because the military being this large body of disciplined, well-trained people who can get to where they need to be very quickly, they have unique capabilities. Um, so what the Insurrection Act does is, or, sorry, what the founders sought to do is strike a back. The Constitution allows domestic government of the military, but it doesn't directly give authority to do that to the president. Instead, it allows Congress to define what the president's domestic deployment authority looks like. Congress, soon after uh, the Constitution was adopted, enacted a law that, through a variety of uh, amendments over the course of the next century, has become what we now call the Insurrection Act, that implemented some of Congress's authority under the Constitution to allow the president to deploy the military domestically. And the idea here is uh, let the president use the military in emergencies when it's necessary, when the civilian government when the police are overwhelmed. They later enacted the Post-Conflict Act, which sort of buttresses uh, the protections of the Constitution by creating a general prohibition on military participation. The problem with the insurrection is it is not so much an exception to the Post-Conflict Act. It is not so much a narrowly tailored authorization for using the military in an emergency, it is a gaping hole in all of these principles. The Insurrection Act gives essentially limitless discretion to the president. There is nothing in the Insurrection Act defines an insurrection or a rebellion. Um, it's, as I mentioned, it's an extremely old law. It has not been substantively amended since 1874. Um, it uses a lot of archaic language uh, and and lack of definition. So there are no criteria in the Insurrection Act that indicate uh, when the president can or cannot use the military domestically. Instead, it essentially leads that up to the president's side. And in fact, the Supreme Court 
in a case that is also quite old from 1827, ruled that the president alone decides whether a given circumstance warrants invoking the insurrection. No one, including the courts, can question that determination. So the reality is there are essentially no safeguards in the Insurrection Act to prevent it from being abused. The president alone decides what constitutes an insurrection, what constitutes a crisis worthy of invoking the Insurrection Act. And the courts, by their own determination, can't question that. And Congress has actually cut itself out of the process. So the original version of the Insurrection Act had mechanisms that allowed Congress, as well as the courts, to check the president's authority in case the president overreached. Over time, those were actually stripped out. The, the Insurrection Act, the last time it was heavily amended was in the context of the Civil War, and then after the Civil War, the terrorist insurgency that was waged in the former Confederacy by the Ku Klux Klan and other groups. So this law is it's designed for a 19th century nation at war. It's not designed for the 21st century United States. Another critical fact is that at that time, middle of the 19th century, police as we understand them basically didn't exist. Uh, the Department of Justice was not founded until 1870. Uh, the FBI was not founded until 1908. In the 1860s and 1870s, only about a dozen U.S. cities had uniformed police departments, and they tended to be small and underfunded. There were no statewide police agencies. By contrast, so, which is to say that at that time, it wouldn't take much to overwhelm the sheriff in 1865. There were a lot of circumstances in which you can imagine the, the sheriff or other or a U.S. marshal would need assistance from the military. By contrast, it's difficult to overstate the resources of 21st century American law agencies at both the state and federal level. There are over a million state and local police officers in the United States. Um, there are about 130,000 federal law enforcement officers. Uh, that's to say there are more federal law enforcement officers than there are members of the Canadian and Australian Armed Forces combined. And these uh, agencies are all extremely well-equipped with, uh, in many cases, military-style weaponry. So the Insurrection Act we have today, it was designed for 19th century, century at war. It did not have police as we understand them. And it hasn't been updated as the world has changed around. So how should it be reformed? And I have to say, when you're looking at events unfolding as we speak, are you alarmed? Are you really concerned about the possibilities of a this giant loophole um, that the Insurrection Act um, uh, has? Uh, I am concerned. And I will tell you that I'm concerned about the Insurrection Act regardless of who the president is. Because, as I mentioned, there are simply no There, There's no protection to prevent it from being abused. And no one um, should have 
unfettered discretion to deploy the United States military inside the United States and use it to enforce civilian law. Uh, you know, if, the, if George Washington or Abraham Lincoln were president, I would still be concerned about the insurrection act because it simply grants too much unchecked discretion to the president. So how, how, what are the reforms? Sure. So the reforms can really be broken down into three areas. First, uh, the first element is narrowing and clarifying the criteria for deployment. So what we've proposed is the, the current insurrection act, because it was essentially cobbled together over the first century of the United States existence, there's a lot of overlap. Um, if you go and look at uh, a number of past invocations of the insurrection act, Presidents will actually cite multiple sections of the law because multiple sections apply. Um, we proposed basically completely rewriting it and such that there are discrete provisions for each conceivable scenario. So a provision for an insurrection against the authority of the federal government, for example. Um, so think the Civil War. Uh, a provision for an insurrection against uh, or rebellion against the state government, and that crucially would require the consent of the state concerned. Uh, now, to be fair, on that element, the current insurrection act does that. It does require state consent when the issue at hand is an insurrection against the state rather than the federal government. But that's you know just about the only safeguard in the insurrection act currently. And then a separate provision that is concerned with something like the insurgency waged by the Ku Klux Klan, where the issue is really uh, private actors who are en masse violating a certain group's constitutional rights um, or you know, waging campaign of violence, and the local authorities either cannot or will not uh, prevent this, and, you know, federal civilian authorities are overwhelmed and unable to do so on their own. So clarify the circumstances when the insurrection can be used and provide sort of clear, narrow criteria. That's the first step. The second step is bringing Congress and the courts into the process. And this in is arguably the most important part because an emergency by definition, is just something unexpected. It's something you couldn't have predicted. That's what makes it an emergency. So it's very hard to plan ahead, which means when we're talking about emergency powers, we want to allow flexibility. But with flexibility can come, you know, dangerous amounts of discretion. So you want other parties to be able to check the party that's exercising the authority in the moment. Because you can't necessarily define every potential emergency in advance. You can do a better job than the Insurrection Act does currently, but you can't do a perfect job. So that's why checks and balances are really important because Congress or the courts can look in a moment and decide, is this an emergency? So what those checks look like is one, uh, explicitly providing for expedited judicial review. Uh, and so, you know, a challenge can be brought by private parties saying that 
this particular invocation of the uh, Insurrection Act is not justified, it's abusive. You want to expedite that process, uh, so you include provisions for expediting that because courts by their nature do not generally move very fast. The other thing that's important is to have a fairly low standard of review. You don't necessarily want the courts to be sort of questioning the nitty-gritty of every presidential decision in an emergency. What we're really trying to capture here is obvious abuse. So you have a low standard of review that allows the courts to say, look, this is obviously not an emergency. Your justification for, for invoking the act is plainly pretextual. This is unlawful. That's all we're trying to get at. We don't necessarily want judges to be assessing the minutiae of whether, you know, are civilian authorities really overwhelmed or could they probably manage on their own? And then you have the role of Congress. What that looks like is imposing a time limit. So say the president can invoke the Instruction Act and use the military to uh, enforce civilian law for 10 days, two weeks, but as after that time is up, if Congress has not passed a resolution approving uh, the Invocation of the Insurrection Act, then the authority to use the military terminates. So that way you ensure that Congress will weigh in. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, you can't give Congress the authority to terminate the deployment. Um, that is a somewhat arcane constitutional rule uh, based on a Supreme Court decision. Congress essentially is only allowed to act by passing laws. They can't say, say to the president, no, you have to stop doing this. Um, the other reason, though, is that by making it a time limit, by making the... Uh, by making it so that the authority expires, if Congress does nothing, you force Congress to act. Because uh, this is often a problem when trying to craft congressional oversight of presidential exercises of authority that Congress will just do nothing and let the president proceed as they wish. By making it a time limit, saying if Congress doesn't act, the authority will expire, you're strongly incentivizing Congress to take some sort of action. So that's the second piece, bringing the courts and Congress into the process. The third piece, which I didn't actually mention earlier when talking about the Insurrection Act. Another problem with the Insurrection Act is it doesn't place any restrictions on the means that the president uses. It simply says the president can deploy the military, use it to suppress insurrections, enforce the law. It doesn't say anything about that. In fact, uh, one version of the Insurrection Act explicitly says the president can use the military or, quote, any other means, end quote. The statute quite literally says the president can do anything. So our proposed placement for the Insurrection Act would put sort of guardrails on how the president can use the military. If we're dealing with a situation where really the need is riot control. The president doesn't need to deploy tanks to do that. 
but nothing in the current Insurrection Act would stop them from doing that. So, um, the Insurrection Act currently also doesn't require the president to sort of exhaust other resources before resorting to the military. Our proposal, so uh, there I'm really talking about federal law who, as I mentioned, in the vast majority of circumstances, even crisis situations, federal law enforcement will be capable of handling. Joseph, now what is we're there, proposing is go ahead. Is any is there any proposal um, uh, before or preliminarily um, uh, being um, considered by anyone in Congress right now? And also, what can I mean, what, what kind of action can people take? So the there is not currently uh, an insurrection reform bill in uh, in Congress, in either house. Um, this is something that Congress has toyed with on occasion, um, but never made progress on. Um, we would, in terms of what individuals can do, they can call the representatives in Congress and and basically say, you know, hey, I'm worried about the insurrection act. I am concerned that this grants far too much authority to the president. There are no safeguards. And uh, Congress needs to step in. Congress needs to assert its constitutional responsibility for regulating the domestic role of the military and rein the president's power in here. Um, and the... And yeah, the Britain Center has has put forward uh, this comprehensive proposal. It's it's not our proposal is not currently on the Hill, and there are no other uh, proposals. But uh, but so what I would encourage uh, listeners to do is uh, call the representatives, explain that they are worried about this, and that they are want action on it. And I would um, direct listeners to. Um, your pieces and additional um, work on the Insurrection Act at the Brennan Center for Justice's website. And um, Joseph Nunn, this has been a mini masterclass on the Insurrection Act and the need for Insurrection Act reform. I know we need to be talking a lot more about this. I think this is a high priority to be discussing um, on, on this program anyway. So, Joe, I've got to say so long for now, but thank you. Um, that I think this is so important. So we'll, we'll, we're going to have to talk again. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.